Thank you for listening to this podcast. I'm Conrad Chua, and today I'm in sunny San Francisco. And I'm very pleased to meet one of the first Cambridge MBAs that I had the privilege to admit to the program, Pratik Shah. So Pratik is now the Senior Director and Head of Product Advertising at TapJoy. Previously, he was Lead Product Manager at InMobi. So it's great to see you again, Pratik. Great uh, to see you as well, Conrad. And thanks for having me here. Pratik, you've worked in finance with Credit Suisse, Thomson Reuters before doing the Cambridge MBA. And then you moved into mobile advertising. It seems like quite a big jump for you, you know, after you did the MBA. What prompted this shift in career? Great question, uh, Conrad. So I have an engineering background and I graduated from uh, the East Coast. And at that point, going into finance and working in New York was an easy and obvious choice. Right? What was really interesting about uh, finance was the fact that it is really a two-sided marketplace in a way where you're trading stocks, bonds, options on exchanges. Right? It is interestingly not very different from advertising uh, specifically mobile and digital advertising, where a lot of parallels can be drawn to finance and the two-sided marketplace. Really what you're trading in mobile advertising is people and really people's attention and mind share. So that's a lot of commonality between those two fields. What's really interesting about mobile advertising is that in addition to all the quantitative uh, aspects of finance and trading, it brings in a level of creativity and just psychology, human psychology, that takes it up a notch, at least in terms of my interest levels over there. So those are sort of the parallels. Uh, it, these are very different industries, of course, with their nuances. And Cambridge has been uh, very pivotal in my move from the finance industry to um, mobile advertising, in terms of exposure to strategy, marketing, as well as just the network and connection of people at Cambridge. So Pratik, can you tell us a little bit more about what you did at InMobi and what you're doing now uh, at TapJoy? So I joined InMobi right out of Cambridge. In fact, I did my GCP with InMobi. So that's the uh, global consulting project. So you were with uh, a group of other uh, MBAs, is that right? Absolutely. And that is generally the, our internship at uh, Cambridge. And we did that with InMobi. It was a really successful internship, very fruitful for both myself and the company. And I was interested and excited to join InMobi after Cambridge. At Cambridge, I led product management for our developer analytics platform. Beyond InMobi, when I moved to TapJoy, I grew into the roles of product management and currently lead our advertising pl platform product teams. And we really build all of our advertising uh, products for our advertisers, for our app developers, and have grown businesses literally from zero to $100 million over the last two to three years. So 
you know, when uh, I remember, I'm, I'm old enough, you know, to remember when uh, the iPhone first came out, and then the uh, you know iOS, Android app stores first opened, and you know there was this gold rush, you know, of young people trying to develop apps, um, but very soon the cold reality set in that only a small number of of app developers can make money. So how do you think app developers can monetize their apps, especially when consumers aren't willing to pay very high prices for apps? You know, and uh, I know you're you're working in a company with mobile advertising, but not everybody t- enjoys or likes to have apps pop up in, when they're using their apps. So how can app developers uh, monetize their apps, make ads in their apps more enjoyable so you know honestly speaking the amount of money that and as well as apps are continue to grow in ios and android even now but you're right you've hit the uh, point on uh, which is app developers are increasingly finding it difficult to make easy money right there needs to be a lot of thought put in to the way an app developer thinks about their core value proposition, the way they acquire users uh, efficiently, the way they retain those users, and ultimately the way they monetize users. There are various models in the industry. Over the last four or five uh, years, the industry has matured enough to get a good sense of what are good monetizing models. In-app purchase or freemium is one such model which has caught on really well for majority of app developers, games as well as non-games. And really what that is, is try and get the user in, let them experience your app, and then try to monetize them. Now, of course, you can monetize that particular user with either asking them to pay for certain things, like in-app currencies or uh, for lives or for articles, or you can choose to show advertising uh, to the same user. That's always been an interesting and tricky balance in terms of when and how you show a user an ad versus when you ask the user to pay for something. Another set of innovation that's happening in advertising is really the, the format of rewarded advertising, which brings in an ability to show a user an ad and not make it annoying or not make it as a pop-up as you were describing, Conrad. This is really, the value proposition is actually fairly simple. Let a user watch a video and in return, give them something in the app that is that they desire. Things such as a free life, a coin, or a free article, for example, for New York Times. So in conclusion, I think both monetizing monetization models around purchases, subscription, as well as advertising have matured to a a very, very uh, advanced stage in mobile, where really your memories of annoying ads that we used to see on desktops are a thing of a past, really. And on mobile, we're having a lot of innovation where the idea is to try and benefit both the end user in terms of their user experience as well as the app developer in terms of their ability to monetize and really make a living. So that's really fascinating. I mean, um, when we think of ads, as you say, you know, every time I, we go on some websites, all these pop-up ads come out and it's really annoying. So 
at the same time, people do, companies do need advertising to sell their products. So where do you think advertising is headed? And what kind of advertisers uh, are spending on digital or mobile? So advertising is really, really, uh, it's an interesting time for advertising. Just this year, digital advertising surpassed TV and offline advertising. And that is huge. That literally just marks a state where advertising has gone digital. Mobile and video advertising are actually leading majority of the growth over here. So really when majority of advertisers are thinking about ads today, they're thinking mobile and they're thinking video. Facebook and Google have certainly taken a lead in terms of the market share and in terms of advertiser mind share. But there are variety of avenues where advertisers have options beyond Facebook and Google. And those are the places where a lot of innovation is happening around the fringes as well. In terms of the kind of advertisers, it's really everyone, right? Uh, over the last three or four years, it was primarily direct response or app install advertisers. So, you know, think of advertisers like your favorite game or uh, think of advertisers like Uber. And they wanted to try and get a user to download an app so that they can use it. And these companies have been paying huge amount of uh, money and spends on majority of advertising platforms. What we expect to see is an influx of advertisers beyond direct response, both from brands as well as local commerce-based advertising, where advertising will head over the next four to five years or beyond five years. It's going to go into platforms such as augmented reality or virtual reality, as well as AI or uh, artificial intelligence based systems like chatbots and voice-based voice AI devices like the Amazon Echo. We're not there yet, but that is absolutely going to be the next frontier of um, advertising as well as innovation. We have companies in San Francisco and in the Bay Area who have already started investing and thinking about when the, and how the next shift in advertising will happen. So I mean, you mentioned about uh, the tech companies here in San Francisco, and I know, um, you know you've been working in quite a few cities, right? So New York, Bangalore, London, San Francisco, the Bay Area, um, and you've had quite a lot of experiences in terms of the startup ecosystems in each of these cities. So what is your view about the differences in each of those places that you've been in? The Bay Area or San Francisco ecosystem is by far the biggest, uh, and that's quite commonly known across most um, you know, news outlets as well. What's interesting is upcoming ecosystems like New York, London, and Bangalore are starting to catch up in interesting ways. Right? Um, over the last five or 10 years, a lot of these local ecosystems initially thought about trying to replicate a Silicon Valley in each of their uh, regions. What's the leading thought right now is you don't really need to build or replicate Silicon Valley. What each of these local ecosystems need to do is try and think about what 
they are best suited for in terms of solving needs of users and needs of uh, people and businesses around them. So, for example, Bangalore, the kinds of companies that are starting to thrive are the ones that are solving for needs of the Indian consumers and the ones that are thinking about needs of the 1 billion Indian consumers that may not necessarily have the kind of money or the kind of mobile uh, 3G or 4G connectivity that a U.S. or San Francisco-based consumer may have. But the needs are different, and the solutions are very, very different. That's It applies the same in London as well as New York. Both of those, which are fairly large financial uh, uh, markets, and a lot of finance, fintech, insurtech-based companies are growing in each of those ecosystems. So it's very interesting how each of these local ecosystems will emerge eventually over time. So you're thinking that uh, for someone who's interested in, say, joining a startup or starting up a company, it's not the case that everyone has to come to Silicon Valley or the Bay Area, is that right? Absolutely. I don't think there is a hard and fast rule that you need to come to the Bay Area or Silicon Valley anymore. I think there are very, very interesting opportunities in majority of these ecosystems. I think the thing that really one needs to think through is what sort of companies do you want to work for and where they thrive. So if you're interested in solving for needs of specific, uh, you know, Indian consumers or solving for needs in finance uh, or even in Africa, where I have a lot of friends uh, doing very interesting stuff, these ecosystems will be the right places for you. If the thought is to try and join a very large global sort of uh, company or make changes which are much more consumer-based, much more uh, internet-based. Silicon Valley and San Francisco does remain sort of a a great place to be. China as well is coming up, and we have a lot of friends uh, who have graduated from Cambridge and Judge Business School who are doing amazing work over there as well. So Pratik, um, you've been doing quite a bit of work as a product manager now. So what does a product manager do and what are the skills that a product manager needs? The most commonly uh, talked about uh, phrase for a product manager is, hey, a product manager is a CEO of a product. That's largely a stretch, but there's a lot of um, truth to it and there are certain nuances which are completely uh, untrue, right? So, What a product manager does is really set the strategic vision for a particular product or a product line, ensure that that vision is executed well, Um, working in tandem with engineering, working in tandem with marketing, sales, and ultimately bringing in voices, voices of external stakeholders like customers as well as internal stakeholders, such as your executives or the rest of the company. So that's really what a product manager does. The interesting piece is the huge amount of influence and 
ability to make change within an organization as well as uh, you know just outside for the company but really no authority or no formal authority right a product manager does not have engineering or marketing or sales reporting to uh, him or her and yet the person needs to be able to influence pretty much everyone in the company so that is really what a product manager does so if you think about all of that and just think through the skills that are required obviously being smart uh, having sort of data or quantitative skills is pretty much a prerequisite what's also important along with that is communication skills ability to influence and work with stakeholders having sort of a good read on the pulse of market competition you know the four p's of marketing and ultimately bringing in the customer's uh, voice right having sort of a product perspective on design having a product perspective of, on really what the customer or the consumer would want are the kind of skills that are needed to succeed as a product manager great product managers that i've seen are usually t shaped right so they have all the things that i've talked about so far and are really good at one thing right and that is really what distinguishes a great product manager from a good product manager um so by t shape you're talking about people who have deep functional expertise in one area but are able also to have that breadth of uh understanding of how all the different functional areas fit together and i think that's something that uh, well in cambridge on the mba but also i think most mba programs seek to do uh with the mbas that they that go through um pretty one last question is you know many mbas are there interested to take up product management roles especially in tech so you know what advice would you give to them and one question i always get uh on the career side is how much technical background do they need to get into product management so traditionally product management in tech and i'm uh, strictly thinking tech as consumer or enterprise internet based companies traditionally the thinking has been largely driven by google that a product manager needs to be uh, needs to be technical should have an engineering background but that's changing over time right uh, we're seeing more and more large sized companies companies like the likes of um Dropbox and Airbnb and Uber as well as Facebook moving into places where having an engineering background or technical background isn't really a deal breaker or isn't really a, a prerequisite it certainly helps but that's not where uh, it's uh, that's not a big deal anymore there are enough product roles where having a liberal arts uh, background or a finance background or a consulting background actually helps to be honest it's and it probably ties back to the conversation we had about the t-shaped product manager right having the breadth and uh, thought process to be able to bring in um, different viewpoints different perspectives actually helps being become a better product manager in terms of advice for folks looking to get into product management and tech my biggest advice uh is try to break into the role as well as the industry in however uh, you can 
And the way I think about it is during the GCP or the global consulting project uh, or even an internship after the MBA would really help. And the reason for this is when you have any sort of relevant experience in the industry, it just makes it much more easier to then break into uh, permanent product management roles. And another thought is being open in terms of location, being open in terms of the sizes of companies. Um, again, you don't need to get into Google product management to start a product management career. Um, you, If you don't really have a lot of background in product management, there are a lot of companies which would be a much better fit. And you can obviously then work your way into the right sort of companies, the right location. That's very good advice, Pratik. Thank you very much for sharing that uh, your your experiences with us. And you know, I'm really glad to see you. And thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. Thanks for having me here, Conrad.